as they get that worked out. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 40, David would say, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. I don't know about you, but I was in a horrible pit. We were all in horrible pits. The Bible says he brought me up also out of it and out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Let me tell you today, that rock that we're speaking about is Jesus Christ. See, we were all seeking sin. We were barely above water. As quicksand is, if you was to step on it, it begins to suck you in little by little by little by little until it eventually engulfs you. And I don't know about you, but this old boy here was getting ready to be all the way up under. But Jesus Christ came passing by my way, and he brought me out of that horrible pit. He brought me out of that miry and he set my feet upon a rock, and that rock is Christ Jesus. And let me tell you something, that rock is unmovable. That rock is unshakable. Let me tell you the storms of life, and we're in the midst of one right now, the greatest that the church has probably ever about seen before in our generation. But let me tell you something, as long as you're upon the rock, you're going to make it because the rock doesn't move. It's not shaken. So even though what's going on all around us, stay upon the rock, and you're going to make it. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, our heart's cry is what this song says. Jesus, lover of my soul. Lord, I love you like I love no one else, Lord. You mean everything to me and so much more, Lord. There are no words in the vocabulary, Lord, to adequately describe, Lord, how we feel toward you, God. But, Lord, all we can say is that we love you, Lord, and even that don't seem to be enough. But, God, I pray certainly our hearts, Lord, and see the love that we have for you, God. Lord, we thank you for saving our soul. We thank you, Lord, for washing us of our sins. We thank you for changing our whole life around, God. No one else and nothing else could have ever done that, Lord. God, we give you the highest praise today. God, we ask that you would touch your people right now that are watching and those that will watch, God. Lord, that every need in their heart and in their life would be met. That, God, they will look to you and what you did on Calvary's cross, knowing and believing, Lord, that Whether it be physical or emotional, Lord, right now we're asking that the healing hand of Jesus, your grace, come down upon them, Lord, and move upon their heart and their life, Lord. Lord, we give you the highest praise for it all. In Jesus' wonderful, mighty name, amen and amen. We good? All right. Amen. Amen. All right. Sorry about the technical difficulties. If I can mess something up, I'll mess it up. <laughs> I lost my little sponge piece on the microphone. But nevertheless, they said you can hear me. And so that's uh, matters. Bibles turn with us. To the book of John. The book of John. <clears throat> Again, we're so thankful that you have joined in with us. And let me just say one thing, that we've got some things coming up that, again, we will let you know about. But uh, 
uh, yeah, we'll let you know about in due time. Amen. And so we're excited about what God is doing and what God is going to do. Amen. I'm expecting to receive, as Acts chapter 3, that man that was lame, laying at the gate, called beautiful. And there he was begging of alms each and every single day. But that day he came. And well, that day he was there. Little did he know that two apostles, two disciples of Jesus Christ, Peter and John, fresh from the throne room of grace, seeking the face of God on their way to, uh, to pray, would be coming by his way. And he was begging of alms of them. And I love it what they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. He was expecting to receive what he was always getting day in and day out. But what he ended up receiving was a whole lot more. We need to have that same expectation, amen, that same expectation as he did. So John chapter 15, reading the verse, uh, the first uh, five verses within the Bible. And the Bible says that I am, Jesus speaking here, of course, I am true vine. And my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Let me read that verse one more time. Every branch in me, underline the words in me, that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Verse 3, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I want to preach a message that I believe the Lord laid upon my heart, one that I know that we have heard from many times as far as you know, various titles, if you will, from this passage of Scripture in John chapter 15. And if you've been affiliated uh, in, in the church at any point in time, again, like I said, you have heard this passage we've preached on many times. And there's a lot of great important truth that I myself need to continuously be reminded of. Amen. So I want to preach a message this morning simply entitled, The Vine, The Gardener and the branch. The vine, the gardener, and the branch. Bow your heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you again in the name of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for the wonderful privilege, Lord, and the opportunity, Lord, to stand here in your house and again proclaim your holy word. God, we thank you for the Spirit of the Lord that is in this place. And Lord, we know that right there with your the road in a car, Lord, or for those that will watch and will listen. Lord, we know that anointing doesn't wang away. We know that anointing stays. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord, and your spirit, God. It makes the difference. And Lord, we've come today again to preach your word, a word that we believe that you have laid upon our hearts. So God, I ask, Lord, that you would bless our efforts, Lord. And most importantly, Lord, give us the anointing that we need to pray your anointed word. Lord, your word is anointed. It's all that we need, but God, we need the anointing to proclaim it. Lord, help us to rightly divide it. Lord, help us not to say anything that would cause or bring any harm. And Lord, anoint not only us to speak, Lord, but those that will listening and that are listening right now. Anoint their hearts and their ears to receive your word today, Father. And Lord, we know that it will bring forth good fruit. And we'll give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And amen. So in the previous chapters 
we find in chapters 12 through 14. We find Jesus having come to Jerusalem. And of course, we know he was on his way to Jerusalem for Passover and ultimately would be led to the cross where he would give up his life for you and I and the entirety of the world. But we find Jesus having come to Jerusalem and having what we know as, uh, know as the last supper with his disciples. And here Jesus would talk to them and it would give them great truths. And he would speak how the disciples and how one of them would betray him. And of course we know as this to be Judas Iscariot. Would they also go on unto him signifying not only his death and being raised up on the cross but also that we would raise him up here upon this earth. John 12, 32, one of favorite verses and if I if I be lifted up from the earth I will call all men unto me let me tell you it's the same today just sinners not just the unconverted but it is you and I that are saved that are blood ball he will draw us because I don't know about you but I want to continue to draw my heart and I'm so thankful that I to just be in the sanctuary with amongst my bo uh, the body of believers, my brothers and sisters in Christ, hearing the word of the Lord be drawn. He can draw us each and every single day and does so desire to do so. But we've got to, again, get into his presence and nothing better but to get into the word of God and there you will find the Holy Spirit drawing your heart unto him. Amen. So then we see Jesus also washing the disciples' feet, which signified signified how our daily walk before the Lord needs constant cleansing because we live in an evil world. You see, Peter was like, well, Lord, wash me all over. But he just said, no, I just need to wash your feet. I don't need to wash your hands, and I don't need to wash your head because the cleansing isn't in our hands. The cleansing isn't in our head because we don't get saved again and again and again. Amen. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, you're justified by your faith, and you are saved. You are in him, and all you have to do is continue to exhibit faith and continue to remain in Christ. And you are justified, you are saved, so it's not our hands and our hair that needs to be cleansed. We don't have to ask for continual salvation again and again, but it is rather our feet, which represents our walk before him, that needs daily cleansing. See, our walk before him as we're walking in this world and walking in Christ, that's what needs to be cleansed each and every single day. And thank God his blood is still continually to flow. That even when I mess up, one drop of his precious blood falls upon me. First John 1 and 9 still says that if we will confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Amen. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus was spending a lot of time with them and teaching them a lot of what he wanted them to know just hours Possibly a couple of days before he would be offered up upon the cross. So then in chapter 14, we see where Jesus promises the gift of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And that gift that is promised to his disciples then is the same gift that he promises unto us. And now we have, and it's the wonderful indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we see the power that is promised to us through the Holy Spirit and the help that we would receive through the Holy Spirit. You see, he's the comforter, the spirit of truth who comes to lead us, to guide us, 
to teach us all things and to bring all things that Christ has spoken back and to remember. Christ had a whole lot to say, amen. And it's the Holy Spirit's role to bring to us and to remember those things. I don't know about you, but when I'm upon my day and I may be facing something or even if I'm just doing something and something that I haven't thought about or something that I need in that moment, God the Holy Spirit will bring back to remembrance of that which I have read before and will bring to me exactly what it is that I need right there in that moment. That's what it means. That he's a very present help in time of trouble. So he knows not only what you're going through, but he's got the remedy, the solution. And of course, his word is him. And he is the word, amen. And his word will always point us back to him. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. He will point us back to Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me tell you something. He can give to you that free of charge what no therapy that you pay $100 an hour to lay on this couch can ever give you. All they can do is listen to you and they can spout you their ideas and their opinions of what they think that you need to do. You don't need to go to them. All you need to do is turn to King Jesus. He knows exactly what you need. Meditate upon the Lord. Dwell on Him. And He has promised that He would keep you in perfect peace. Amen. So at the end of chapter 14, He tells the disciples, let's get up and let's go out. And as they were on their way to the Mount of Olives, he passed by either a vine tree or either a symbol of a vine. And he would take this time to teach them yet another great truth. One that, again, is so applicable to our walk with him that is so important that he wanted them to get a hold of and for us to get a hold of as well. An important one relative to their walk as well as mine and as well as yours. And the disciples at this time, you have to understand, they would understand and they would know the significance of what he was speaking about when he began to classify and began to identify himself as the true vine. And so he would take this time then to expound upon it. So I'm going to take that time and give you a little back issue so don't get lost here. It's very important. I had never seen this before, but it's very important and how this is relative to us. Amen. So Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 21. God has spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Get you a noble vine, holy a right. How then are you turned into a degenerate plant? Of a strange vine unto me. Now here we know that God's people, the chosen people, were Israel. And Israel, if you read back in a couple verses prior to that, we know that the Bible says that they had committed two evils. One, they had forsaken him. And if that wasn't bad enough and forsaken him, they had also went on to do the other evil that he talks about and hewned out cisterns of their own making in which the Lord would say are broken cisterns which hold no water. They were depending upon themselves and not looking to him. They had forsaken him. They were wicked in their ways and they had played the harlot Understand here, God had brought them out of Egyptian bondage, a power that was manifested like none other they had ever seen before. And not only was it a miracle train them out of the bondage of the captivity of Pharaoh, but we know about it, everybody knows about it, but their 
opened up the Red Sea and made a way for them to escape. And that way of escape, not that way that he made was not only for their victory and for them to make it, but was also used to crush Pharaoh's head to kill them. Amen. That's what the cross does makes a way for you and I to escape go through the cross and on the other end is victory on the other end of it is deliverance on the other end of it is healing but let me tell you something the enemy can't get on through that cross because that's where the enemy is defeated and it's through the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ you talk about that old saying two bar kill two birds with one stone let me tell you something he took the cross and he defeated every power more than just two but every power of darkness and including hell itself. Amen? So Israel was supposed to have been a witness, hear me, a witness unto the pagan nations that were all around them, that surrounded her, and was supposed to have produced fruit. Evidence that faithfulness to him, the force of God, Jehovah, would produce good fruit and would be a blessing to all that were attached to him. We know, we've read about it, that when Israel was a to God, hadn't turned to idolatry, following the ways, the blessings of the Lord was overtaking them. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28, that if you will comply with him, if you obey him and do what he says, the blessings will flow. But if you go on to read that and on into further detail, because we like to stop, I think, after the first 10 or 12 verses of blessings, but it also goes on to say what will happen Wanting them to be that light, and they should have been that representation to all of the nations around them that, hey, if you'll serve Jehovah, there will be great blessings attached to it. But Israel had dropped the ball in being a witness that God had commanded them to be. You see, they had lost their fear of God, and God viewed them. Here's what he said. He viewed them as a degenerate plant of a strange a degenerate plant of a strange vine. You see, they were not strange to the world, but they were strange to God. World, but they were strange to God. Let me tell you, in Christ and this serving the Lord, we should be strange to the world and not to God. Let me say, We should be strange to the world, but not to God. When the world looks to me, they should sit back. What in the world are they talking about? What in the world are they excited about? My God, come again. They're, they're singing. They're praising the Lord. They're lifting up their hands. They got a smile on their face. They're happy in the midst of all that's going on in this chaos and in this world. They're plump strange. But that's okay. Call me strange if you want to, because I know who I'm connected to. Amen. I don't want to be strange to God. I want to be strange unto this world. So again, this signifies that they were no better than the world and was acting just like them instead of acting how God had called them to act. Acting just like the world. To see what was going on in that day and time. To see them where they were even literally had so, so low that they were offering little children as sacrifices unto idols. The screams that would pour out from that, the cries are all in the name of God. You think that's crazy. There's no way that that could happen. Oh, yes, it did. The Bible says so, but we're no different today. 
We do things in the name of God, and it's not of God. It's resembling of the world. And we do all of these things thinking that God has placed his approval on it. That's how far out Israel had gotten and had became, again, a degenerate uh, plant into a strange vine. So again, we see that much of the church is in the same condition today as Israel was in at that time. In ancient times, when a vine wasn't producing a fruit, a wild vine would be chosen and grafted into its spot so that it could produce fruit. Let me say that one more time. Don't lose this here. In ancient times, when a vine wasn't producing, a vine, when it wasn't producing fruit, a wild vine would then be taken and chosen and grafted into its spot so then it could produce fruit. So Israel had rejected Christ, so he came for the wild branch, and the wild branches were the Gentiles and grafted them into the vine. Romans eleven seventeen says, And if some of the branches be broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. You see, the branches, which was representative of Israel, what he's talking about, have become decayed. He's using branches here to describe Israel. And they had become decayed and unfruitful, broken off. And so the Gentiles, that you and I, had now been grafted in. You get where I'm going at? You and I, as Gentiles, the wild branches have been, my God, have been grafted in, meaning to unite and to be attached. And we now would receive the same benefit of Abraham's faith and the promises that were made to his seed. You hear me today? I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that he come and he took a hold of this wild branch. I said, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that he come and grab this wild branch. I hate the fact of what Israel did. But let me tell you what the devil meant for evil. God turned it all the way around. And where Israel has failed, he said, you become a strange spot. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to grab the wild branch. And I'm going to grasp them in. And I'm going to use them to produce the fruit through them to take the gospel to Jesus, Jesus Christ to the nations. You were that wild branch. I was that wild branch laying out here. Some old twig, dead, no life in it whatsoever. But he came, he got me, and he grafted me into the vine. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, Ephesians 2, 1 through 6. You think you've shouted yet? Wait till you hear this. And you... Has he quickened, who was dead in trespasses of sin, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all, all of us, had our conversations in times past in the lust of our flesh, in times past fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, hear me, the nature, the evil nature, the children of wrath, even as others. But God, I said, but God, do you see how bad it was, how bad you were? It was bad. Let me tell you, there wasn't no hope for us. But God, who 
is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ by grace you are saved oh and it gets a whole lot better and has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus let me tell you there's no words that I can look at you today and say that can possess such power but when I read the first six verses of this the other day and I've read it time and time and time again but when I tell you the presence of God come all over me when I see just how I was I was that wild branch there was no hope for me but God who is rich in grace and in mercy said I know that what you deserve is judgment but I love you too much so I'm going to send my son Jesus to Calvary's cross where mercy and grace would kiss together and you would have life hallelujah praise the God you deserve to die but God said I love them too much to let them suffer the judgment for their sins so I'm going to send my son Jesus so that they can be saved that's the power of the cross. And you want to know why we preach Christ and Him crucified. That's the reason why we should have died and went to hell. We should have died and suffered judgment. But God, who is rich in grace and in mercy, has sent His only begotten Son and saved us from our sin. He changed me. He called me out of darkness into marvelous light. He made me a new creature in Christ Jesus so that everything about now has changed.
dead without feeling, ruled by the powers of darkness, being made to speak and being made to do everything that was commanded to you by your master at that time, Satan. You had no control but a puppeteer to him. We live to gratify this flesh because of that depraved nature that was inside of us. But God, who was rich in grace and mercy again, quickened you and made life, life, life to come inside of you. Oh, do you see how I got excited? I had read this passage of scripture time and time again, heard it preached time and time again, and said, absolutely, he's the true vine. Apart from him, we can't do nothing. I've heard it, I've heard it. But when I realized that the original vine there, the original branch was Israel. And then I realized that we were the wild branches, that he came and got me, and he grafted me in to the vine. That's how he quickens you. That's how life could come into you. Because you were dead, a dead old branch, and he brought that branch and stuck it into the tree that had life flowing, and now life can flow through you. That's why I like to see it. I can feel him in my hands. I can feel him in my feet. I can feel him all over me. Because he lives inside of me. It's Jesus that we talk about. He ain't dead. He's alive. Yes. How do I know? Because he lives inside of me. Hallelujah. Oh, oh, but it gets better. You and I were grafted into the family of God. You see, we're no longer orphans, no longer aliens, but sons and daughters of the Most High King. Do you realize what that grafting means? If anybody knows about medical stuff and surgeries, that when there is a burn, and I think I'm right, and if I'm wrong, the nurse here will correct me after service. But the way that I see it is that where there's a burn here, they will take another part of skin of the body and will take it and graft it, if you will, to cover that up. You see, you and I were grafted. It was brought together. I might have just messed that up, but nevertheless, you know where I'm going. But now we're sons and daughters of the Most High King, Romans 8, 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. So you once had a reason to fear. You once had a reason to fear him. I would have too. You were on your way to hell. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I read this, and there's uh, family members in my life that, that, that has, and I will tell you, and I'll use this as an example. My Aunt Kathy, which many of you that are here, and she knows who she is because she watches, is my aunt. And she had two boys by natural birth that she carried in her womb. And gave birth to. But 38 years ago, there was this little girl whose mother had died. Whose mother consequently was related to her husband. My aunt's husband. And this little child nobody wanted. She was six months old. Or perhaps some could have taken her, but she would have ended up in a bad situation and bad environment. But God moved on my aunt whose boys were already almost teenagers in the prime of her life. But God moved on her to take this little six-month-old girl and to bring her into her family. She was adopted into that family. And let me tell you something. Oh, when you're adopted into the family of God, that tells me that I've got the same privileges and the same rights as Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, her boys called her Mama. 
But guess what April, who was adopted, calls her today. She don't call her Kathy. She says, Mama. She says, Mama. And she's got the same privileges and the same rights that the true two brothers have that my aunt gave birth to, that my uncle had, and them had created and brought into this world. They had rights by natural birth, of course. They're their children. But she was adopted in, not given birth to. But when she brought her into the family, God, she was adopted in. Too. And now she's got the same rights and the same privileges as the two brothers who has the same blood of her parents running through. She's got the same privileges and the rights. Let me tell you, let me translate that over. You and I are what the son of God. But now when you got saved, royal blood, you had a blood transfusion. Now runs through your veins. And so now God can look at you and he don't say you're adopted, son. He don't say you're somebody I just picked up. No, you're a son. And a daughter of the Most High King. If that don't excite you, I don't know if you're even saved. It should excite you to know that you were on your way to hell. How can you not hear this and it bubble up inside of you? I don't care what it is that we're going through. We're children of the Most High God. Amen. So we see Christ here is the true vine, the one in whom we are connected to. And the father is the husbandman, the husbandman, the gardener, if you will. That's why I use the word gardener in the title, the husbandman, the gardener, the vine dresser. So now that we have been grafted into the vine, we are branches, if you will, of this tree that extends from it. So if you see a tree, you've got that trunk there, that vine, if you will, that represents Jesus Christ. And the branches that come out from it are from, and it comes from the vine itself. You see, the branches that just hop up there one day that you glue to it or staple to it. It's an extension from the trunk itself. So as branches, you and I are branches, we're an extension of Jesus Christ, okay? So we now, by verse 2, see that we've received salvation because we are the branches. Salvation there, branches, you are the branch. I am the branch because we've been saved. And now we are in him and we're able to bear fruit of the tree, which is in this point, of course, would be Jesus. So now Christ lets us know that the branch doesn't bear fruit. The one that doesn't bear fruit, not my words, but the branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Now, that's not popular preaching. Now, I got everybody excited. Now there's going to be some to get unexcited. <laughs> Not in here. We love the Lord. But the branch that doesn't produce fruit, he said, he takes away. We need to understand one thing, that as a born-again believer, we know that we are the salt and the light of the world. To carry the title of a Christian means that we are examples of Christ walking here in this dark world and, and, and just as he did 2,000 years ago. So for one to say that they are a Christian, they are saying that they are in Christ. See, the word Christian is loosely thrown around in this world today. Everybody's a Christian because they believe that they call it a religion. Let me tell you today, Christianity is not a religion. Buddhism is a religion. Islam is a religion. And they're religions of hell. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship yeah. with Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Other religions, there's no relationship with their false gods. But I've got a relationship with the only big G-O-D. The other ones are the little G-O-D. He's the big G-O-D. 
So to be in Christ, and to be in Christ again means that there's going to be fruit. So to say that I am saved, to say that I am a Christian, to say that I am born again, if those words are used in much of the church today, means that you're a Christian and that there's going to be fruit buried in your life of the one who you say that you are in, Jesus. An apple tree that is out in the field is known by the apples that it produces and are hanging from the branches. I remember growing up that we had a peach tree in the backyard. <clears throat> that peach tree was known and identified not because of the tag that was on it when it was originally planted, but because of the peaches that would fall off of it. That's how we identified it as a peach tree. Had there not been any peaches, we weren't there when it originally got planted. We would have never known that it was a peach tree. But because there was fruit that was hanging off of the branches, we knew that it was a peach tree. You see where I'm going with this? What I mean by all this is that if a fruit tree doesn't produce the fruit that it is bore in its name, then how do we know for sure? How would I have known that that was a peach tree if there would have never been any peaches produced? We can call ourselves Christians all we want to, but if there is no fruit, then we're just a Christian in name only. And a Christian name only is no good. We have to have fruit. This is indicative of much of the world today, and I just said it a while ago. Again, there are many that associate themselves with Christianity. But let me tell you, association does not mean salvation. Association does not mean salvation. We can sit in a church all we want to. We can even lift up hands. We can say that I am a Christian. But without fruit in the life of that person who's claiming Christianity, then the Bible tells me I, I judge it by the tree by its fruit. Right. So tell me all you want to, but that should be for, well, you're judging. No, I'm not. I'm judging righteously. Right. I'm judging to see if there's fruit there in that person's life that tells me that they are a Christian. I'm not acting as God. That's right. I'm just simply judging because I want to fellowship and be around like-minded believers. I need to know who I'm doing business with, if you will. Okay? So now understand the Bible says that the branch does not uh, bear fruit. He takes away. We are not the gardener. So hear me now. He says that he, the gardener, takes away. The vine dresser, the husbandman, he, that's God who takes it away. As one who gardens me, myself, I inspect the plants that I have planted, and I make the determination of the branches that need to be taken off. I don't go get my neighbor, and my neighbor don't come off and say, oh, I don't think that was pretty fruit, and take his clippers and chop it off. Because if he doesn't, now we're going to have a problem. Because it's not his tree. It's not his property. I'm the one who planted it. I'm the one who sowed. I'm the one who worked on this. I'm the one pruning. So it's not anybody's job to come over and to tear it apart. Carry that on over. We're not the gardener. We're not the vine dresser. We're not to be going around and trying in our own way, clipping off branches. No, that's supposed to be left up to God. So no man is able to pluck one branch from God's hands. And let me just say again that a branch is a branch no matter how small or how big that it is. See, the size of the branch makes no matter. It makes no difference. We want to say, well, that's a small branch. I don't care. What makes the difference is, is that branch producing fruit? It's not the size of the branch. It's, is the branch producing fruit? 
Because I'm reminded of Mark chapter 11, I believe it is, that when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he seen a fig tree, and he wanted to reach up and get some figs to eat, but guess what? There was no figs there. Lots of greenery, lots of foliage, which is indicative of many that is in the church, and I use quotes because they say they're Christians. They look the part, they dress the part, they can say good things, but there's no fruit in their life. And we all know the story. Jesus cursed it, and it withered away. So we see that there are those that are believers and have truly been born again, but because they're not staying in him, hear me, we've got many believers. They love the Lord. They've accepted the Lord. They're living for him. But because they are not in him and staying in him, and how we stay in him is the same way that we came in, by faith and grace, looking to Christ and what he's done for us at Calvary's cross, and we stay connected to him, they're not going to bring forth any fruit. You cannot produce fruit on your own. You cannot do it. And there's so many that are trying to live for the Lord by the means of law, trying because they desire, they desire, and the desire is there because they love the Lord, and they're desiring to produce the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll get into in a minute, that God says should be evident. But because they're not staying in Christ and living by simple faith in what he has done, therefore fruit ain't going to come forth. You can't save yourself, you can't clean yourself up. Right. And you can't sanctify yourself. You can't bring forth this fruit. The fruit is of the Spirit, not of flesh, yes. not of man. So the Holy Spirit will do all he can to get one to stay in Christ and to pull them back into Jesus. But despite the continued efforts of the Holy Spirit to try and to get the believer back in line where they should be, if they choose to obey, disobey, if they choose, let me say that again. If they choose to disobey and what the Spirit is saying and trying to pull them back to come back to Christ, come back to simple faith, and they continue against all <clears throat> workings of the Holy Spirit to get them to come back in place and they don't stay connected to Christ, then the Bible says they're taken away. That's the Bible. They're taken away. There are many self-professing branches, self-professing Christians. Again, that say they are in Christ, but they are not producing any fruit whatsoever. And it's because they're not connected to him. To be a branch of any tree means that what flows through the vine is going to flow through different branches. Yes. What flows through the vine, Jesus, is going to flow into the branches, you and I. If we're truly in him. The fruit that hangs on a tree is not because the branch produced it. Because, again, the branch doesn't produce the fruit. But because it comes from the vine, the roots deep within that flows the nutrients to these branches, which then makes them fruit bearers. Do you hear what I'm saying today? The nutrients that flow from the vine up to the branches is the one that is responsible for the fruit that pops out upon the branch. The fruit of the spirit that is within that is in your life is not because you produced it, but comes from the Christ that lives inside of you and now comes forth. But see, we look at trees and we look at the branches, we give all the credit to the fruit that's produced to the branch. Nobody pays attention to that trunk, do they? They don't pay attention to that truck. They look at the branch and look at all the leaves. It's beautiful. They look at that fruit and they'll sit, touch that branch and all of that. It's not the branch that produced the fruit. That's right. It's the vine that produced the fruit. Amen. We're quick to give credit to people who bears the attributes of Christ to the individuals themselves. But the fruit you see in one's life and in your own life comes from the one you don't see. Hear me. The fruit that you, that you see in your life 
and that you see in others comes from the one that you don't see, which is the Holy Spirit working inside of you, working inside of that individual, just like a tree is producing sap and nutrients to flow to those branches to cause the branches to bring forth fruit. Jesus says that the branches that are producing fruit, the ones that are producing fruit, you and I that are in Christ, now what he's going to do is purge it for the one purpose to bring forth more fruit. Now, this is the process that don't feel good. We don't like it. And many times we will see people going through things that we think that they have committed some tragic sin in their life, that they have strayed from God, therefore they're going through what they're going through. Shame on any of us and shame on you if that's the idea that you have. Because a lot of times, and I'm getting ready to get into it, the trials, the storms that we face, is not because of anything that the person has done, but it is designed to purge us because there is fruit that's there. And he says, I want to bring forth more fruit. Not for your glory, but for mine. So again, we, he purges us. It isn't because there's a lack of fruit, but rather the opposite. There's been fruit there. There is fruit there. But the Holy Spirit sees that there's potential for more fruit. So here we see the Father, who is the vine dresser, will come and purge the branch in order for it to bring forth more fruit. We all say that I want to be like Jesus. We sing the song. To be like Jesus means that there's got to be a flow of fruit. Well, to be like him, you're going to have to go through some things. But it's worth it. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, not fruits. Fruit of the Spirit. Not a man, not a flesh, but of the Spirit. Is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against there is no law. You know, and this was the idea when I was growing up, and I don't know about you, but I remember that people thought, well, I need more love, so I, Lord, I need more of that fruit. And I need more gentleness, so I'm going to pick on that one. That's the one that I want to work on. So they were wrong in one or two things. Number one, you don't individually pick the fruit. The fruit of the Spirit means it's one, it grows together in unity. So as you get more love and as you get more, they're all going to grow together in nature. They're going to grow together. We don't go around and pick and say, I need more gentleness and I need more love. You may recognize that you need these things, but you don't say, Lord, help me. It grows together. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The meaning the Holy Spirit is doing the work in you to produce this fruit. You, all you have to do is plenish the desire. Plenish the desire, and he'll do the producing. And when you plenish the desire, the fruit comes from where you place your faith, and that's why it has to be anchored in Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross. So the invisible power of the Holy Spirit is what brings forth this fruit. Again, that grows in unison in the heart and life of the believer. So the Lord desires to bring forth more fruit, uh, than what is already there. So what he's going to do is purge it. Now, again, the purging process is not always fun. Purging takes place because, again, there are things within inside of us that are not Christ-like. I'm the first one to admit it. And if we're all being honest with ourselves, we all got things that ain't necessarily Christ-like. You want to know what they are? Ask the Lord to search your heart and he'll show you. And I'm not heaping condemnation on one because in Christ, thank God, I'm justified by my faith. Because if it was based off of how I do and what I don't do in my performance, I ain't going to make it and so is neither anybody else. Neither of you and nobody else is watching. But because we're in Christ, I'm justified by my faith. Then he accepts me because of my faith anchored in the one who bled and died for me. 
because I have been baptized into Christ. But still and yet, there's things about me that needs to go. Hey, I'm producing fruit of Christ. I mean, I'm not producing. Fruit is being produced. I'm bearing fruit of Christ. But he says, oh, there's potential for even more fruit. So I'm going to have to purge you. So you're going to have to go through some things so that I can get rid of the junk that's in your life so that I can bring forth more fruit to be like him. Okay? So again, and I've got a couple of rose bushes at the house. And every year, and I remember one animal last year, she had planted some and they got real big. And I told her, I said, you need to cut them way back so that they'll produce even more roses next year so that they'll get even bigger. And Lord, it's like it went straight past. No, there's no way. I'm going to kill it. No. You're not going to kill it. You've got to cut away the dead things so that next year it will produce even more roses and it will get even bigger. See, that's what he does with us. He cuts away the things that are sucking out the life so that he can produce more fruit. So how is this purging brought about? How is the cleaning up of us to be more like him brought about? Verse 3 tells us it's done through the word. That's what cleanses us. It's the word, amen? It's the word that changes us. It's the word that comforts us. It's the word that counsels us. It's the word that convicts us. But also it is the word that cleanses us. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. It's Jesus. He's the one who cleanses us from all filth and from all unrighteousness. Matthew 3, we know about it. John the Baptist here telling us that indeed he baptized us with water. But he said that there was a mightier one that was coming whose shoes was not worthy to touch, to even unlatch it and all of that stuff. And he says he's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Ghost and the reasoning of the fire always is to purge us, to purge the floor and to burn up the chaff. What is the chaff? It's the flesh, the no good stuff about us that needs to go. James 1 verses 2 through 4. My brethren, believers, my brothers, sisters in Christ, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, meaning trials, count it all joy, knowing this, that the trite of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, the purging that is done in our lives, again, is, is brought about many times through trials, but James counted it all joy. And commands us to do the same thing because what will come from it is more fruit. It isn't fun. It isn't fun. But you can take comfort in knowing that you've got the Holy Spirit who is there along with you all of the way, leading you and guiding you through the process. So he's there to heal you. He's there to comfort you through the purging process. And all he wants us to do is willingly let him do what he desires, which is to mold us and make us more like Jesus. See, all branches on a tree, and I've seen it, you've seen it, have little twigs that need to be clipped off. Because these little twigs that isn't producing any fruit, if they're not clipped off, they suck away and take away the nutrients that should be flowing into the branches that are. Amen. That's why he'll take away the branches that are. That's why he's got the body of Christ. He's coming back for a, a righteous church, amen, without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish, amen? amen? And the reason why we are, again, is not because of anything we do, but because of the one that we are in. And again, this process can be painful, but you've got the promise of the comforter that will be there to aid you and to guide you. Again, verse 4, the Bible says in verse 4 of John chapter 15, pull it up because I've turned my Bible around. Here we go, I got it. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. So what does it mean to abide in me? It means to stay in him, connected to him. We say connected to him by a living faith. That's why Paul says the just, he repeated it, the just shall live by faith. No matter what it is that I'm going through, I'm living by faith. Faith of the one who bled and died for me. A lot of people say, well, you need more faith. No, we just need to get our faith anchored in the correct object. He said, I will give you the measure, the, the grain of a mustard seed, if you have that kind of faith. He's given us the measure of faith that we need. And it's not a whole bunch of faith. He's given us what we need. Now just place it in the proper object so that I can aid you and guide you in this life so that I can produce more fruit in your life. It's not that we need more faith. We need more fruit. The faith being anchored in the right object will produce more fruit. Amen? The vine doesn't draw nutrients from the branch, but the branch draws nutrients from the vine. And again, the branch is dependent upon the juices that flow to it. You see, you and I are dependent and should be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to flow to us that which we need to stay connected and to stay alive. So he abides with us so that we can live godly lives and holy lives. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth, look, much fruit. So he has said, here you are, you're being fruitful because you got saved. Now I'm going to have to purge you so you can bring forth more fruit. And as you abide in me and I in you, you're going to bring forth much fruit. You've got that initial fruit of salvation. He purges you to bring more, and that purging to bring more will then lead to much fruit that is in your life of a believer. At my mom's house, she has a pear tree. We were there last summer visiting her, and when I tell you this pear tree had a, a produce of pears like I've never seen before. I bet there was thousands upon it to the point to where the branches were just literally hanging over and the pears were on the ground. And I sang and I thought, my God, let that be me in you. I want so much fruit coming from me that I'm bending all the way over so that there's no doubt about it of who I am in. That's what I want. That should be the desire of you and I as believers to have forth much fruit. And if it's truly a believer, they're going to want it. But the way for it to happen, the way that them branches was able to produce the vine, what because they clipped it off and it kept producing? No, it's they connected to the vine. Because the moment a branch gets disconnected, the Bible goes on to tell us it withers away. And let me tell you that withering doesn't happen overnight. But I'm so thankful. That unlike a natural branch that's broken off can never be connected back to a natural tree. I'm so thankful that spiritually speaking, that branch can be grafted back in at any time. Anytime into the vine. You see, the only life-producing vine is Jesus. All other vines are fake vines that are carrying only the resemblance of the true vine that produces no life whatsoever. Jesus alone stands as the life source. So again, as one abides in Christ and he abides in them, they're going to bring forth much fruit. And I don't know about you again, but I want much fruit to be produced in my life. Goes on to tell us that apart from him, we can do nothing. And that doing nothing means, again, absolutely nothing. Apart from him, you're not going to do a thing. But in him, much fruit will come forth. Amen. As Jordan comes and it just plays something real softly. <clears throat> To forsake Christ and his finished work and opt out for every program and fad that's known to man is wrong. Because 
programs of fast will never produce fruit. You hear me today? The deliverance, the victory, the fruit of the Spirit will not come about by programs, by fads, by anything that you do. But it only comes about by staying connected to the Bible. It goes against everything that we know because we want to do something. We've got the desire, but that's all the Lord has asked you to do. Plenish your desire and stay in Christ. Stay in me. Continuously look to me and what I've done. And I'm going to bring forth the fruit in your life. I'm going to encourage you at times because I seek fruit to bring forth more fruit. And as long as you abide in me, as long as you abide in me and stay in me, much fruit is going to come forth. And that should be the desire of each and every one of us, to be fruit bearers for Jesus Christ, to be fruit bearers in this life so that when people see that fruit, oh gosh, that looks delicious, that looks good, good, taste and see, and you'll find that he is good. Because when you bite in a fruit, it's good, but again, that fruit didn't just pop on its own, but come from the vine that it was connected to, amen. So my altar call today is simply this, you those that are in the house is that your prayer today do you desire to be more fruitful and if you're in Jesus if you're truly connected to the vine if you're in him you've accepted the Lord your answer would be yes but maybe you have found yourself not just simply living by faith but trying to do it all upon your own but as I said before the good news is even though a natural branch can't be connected back into a natural tree once it's broken off. Spiritually speaking, you may have separated yourself away from him. But upon the cry of repentance, upon turning back to him, you as the branch can be connected and grafted back into the vine so that life can continuously now go back to producing in you what once did. Amen. I'm so thankful for the vine today. I'm so thankful to be connected unto him. So he's going to play song because I just feel led for this time to ask the Lord to search your heart. Pray wherever you're at. Make an altar wherever you're at. And ask the Lord to search you. If repentance needs to come forth, so be it. All you have to do is cry out, Jesus, forgive me. And he'll do it. So as he plays softly just for a few moments, take this time and just seek the Lord. Thank you for the word that has come forth today. Lord, we thank you for the spirit of the Lord that was there, Lord, that took this anointed word, Lord, to the hearts and lives of your people. God, we trust, Lord, that as your word has went forth, that God is going to accomplish what it was meant to accomplish. Lord, I pray for that one that don't know you, Lord, God, as they cry out unto you today, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just let them know that you're welcoming them back in with open arms. Lord, you don't judge them. You don't condemn them, Lord. You're there with open arms, Lord. You receive them back in. And God, I pray for that one you to live by faith. <clears throat> Lord, many of us, the church as a whole, is going through a purging process right now. But God, all the praise for it all. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. We thank you again for joining in with us. If you happen to catch in on the middle of it, then we'll be there to go back to the beginning. Watch, share this video. Share the video. You may say, well, how can I be a worker in the kingdom of God? Share the video. 
of spreading the gospel. Amen. Change it, which I don't foresee that he will. 